Today we're going to talk about boss encounters and try a new segment of the show called Buff Debuff. to the 27th episode of the Game Dev Field Guide. I am your host, Zaccavelli. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at underscore Zaccavelli underscore. And I recently started a Twitch account. Um, that's just Zaccavelli underscore. And I'll probably just announce in the Discord when I'm going to go live. I don't have a schedule right now or anything. Speaking of the Discord, if you want to be a part of a community that works together to learn game dev, that's where we host the game dev challenge. It's where we have a monthly game jam. It's where we talk about the craft of making video games. Um, come join our Discord. The open invite link is in the show notes. And speaking of the monthly game jam, uh, we got about... How many days left here? We got four or five days left um, before the end of the February monthly game jam. I am in this uh, game jam and my project is going to come down to the wire. I think I'm going to have to do some shortcuts. It's funny because I always talk about scope management and that's like one of the hardest skills to have. And here I am finding myself in the same bind. I didn't even listen to my own advice. Um... I feel like when I designed my project at the beginning of the month, I thought, oh, well, I have a whole month to do it so I can try something kind of ambitious for a game jam. And uh, yeah, here I am. I'm feeling the squeeze at the end of the month. So we'll see what we can um, get done. But yeah, I would encourage you to go onto the Discord or um, go to the monthly game jam itch.io page. And all the submissions will be there and you can go play the games. And um, if you do play the games, please rate them so that the creators can get um, some feedback and get better because that's kind of what the monthly game jam is about. It's about becoming a better game developer through practice. So speaking of becoming a better game developer through practice, let's jump over to the game dev challenge. Last week's game dev challenge was to sketch out a finite state machine or behavior tree for an NPC or enemy. Um, make sure to focus on distinct behaviors and inputs or decision nodes to guide them. And if you'll remember, last episode's topic was kind of an overview to AI, and we talked about finite state machines and behavior trees. And yeah, I think there was a lot of important... Well, there was one big important lesson to learn from this game dev challenge, and I want to talk about that. But first, let's announce the winner. The post with the most upvotes comes from Bay. And it is a finite state machine um, diagram that shows the AI behavior for Bay's creatures that he has for their monthly game jam game. And it kind of just plans out their behavior um, depending on like if they're hungry, if they see another creature. Yeah, I'm actually, I'm really interested in Bay's monthly game jam project because I love like environmental simulation games like that and I want to see how the creatures behave and find food and reproduce and all that stuff that and like pass on the genes I love when like simulation games um, simulate ecosystems like that I think it's really cool the other post I wanted to talk about comes from um, the user Snackob and I thought this was important both from a their finite state machine diagram is pretty cool and it's a pretty cool idea 
But secondly, Snackob did something that I think deserves some applause and I think is the kind of thing we should encourage in our community. So Snackob made a post uh, where they presented a finite state machine diagram. And the diagram was for the AI for one of their Game Jam games. I believe it was Let Em Dare. Um, but it describes like bar patrons, like people at a bar and they first they like evaluate their needs um, and figure out if they need like a beer or a drink or something or if they want to go dance. And if they drink too much or get interrupted, they might fight or they might puke and throw up and get tossed out of the uh, bar. So, yeah, it's a really cool thing to simulate with AI, um, really interesting kind of behaviors. But what I really wanted to point out is that Snackob's first iteration of their finite state machine was missing a key element. And that was the fact that it was missing the inputs that decided how the AI got from each behavior. So it was missing the things like, am I thirsty to go get a drink? Or do I feel like dancing? You know, the kind of things that label the arrows from the states. And these inputs, if you'll remember, are the things that determine how the AI decides to get from state to state. So it's kind of an important thing to be missing from the diagram. And after we pointed that out, what I want to applaud Snackob for is that they took the criticism, they went back, made the changes, and came back with a better diagram. And I think what some people might have done was just take the criticism and kind of never fix it, you know what I mean? Just put the project on the or put the diagram on the back burner or, you know, just kind of brush off the criticism. But that's not what Snackob did. They came back with a better version. And to me, that just shows a commitment to getting better. And that's the kind of thing that I want to be applauded in our community. One, well, for two reasons, really. The first is that's the only way you can get better. You have to keep making iterations and improving on your stuff. It's, you know, just basic practice. But two, I feel like in a community where it encourages this sort of behavior, it's a little bit easier to put your work out there knowing that some of it might be wrong. It can be really hard, like, in a front of a group of people. I mean, at this point, we're up to a 100 and some people in the Discord, and so it can be really hard to show off your work with flaws or, like, have it be seen by so many people with criticism or to be criticized in the open. I remember when I was in college, like, I would never raise my hand to answer a question, even when I knew the right answer, because, like, the thought of being wrong in front of a class full of, like, like in the big lecture halls is, like, 300 people, it absolutely terrified me, so I never rose my hand or answered any questions, and it was actually probably worse for my learning to do that. And so, yeah, I just want to encourage people, like, putting their stuff out there, putting their thoughts and ideas coming out there, knowing that it may get criticized, it's going to get criticized from the frame of we want you to come back and do better and get better, not from the criticize of like pointing out like you're wrong and you should feel bad or something like that. So yeah, big ups to Snackob for coming back with a corrected um, finite state machine. And I just wanted to yeah make an example of that because I think that's the kind of behavior that we need in our community. Also, congratulations to Bay for having the most upvoted post that makes Bay the winner of the Game Dev Field Guide Episode 26 Game Dev Challenge. For next episode's challenge, the prompt is give an example of a boss battle in one of your favorite games that is a creative test of the player's mastery of the mechanics and not just a test of memorization. We're going to be talking about um, boss battles a little bit later, boss encounters, and... 
yeah, we're going to talk about this concept of the mastery of mechanics versus the memorization of the mechanics. And yeah, I thought it'd be interesting to hear other people's, once they hear this episode, maybe that kind of changes how they think about some of their favorite games, boss battles. I talk about one of my favorites later in the episode. And yeah, I thought it'd be interesting. Sometimes it's good to analyze other games to uh, learn more about how you should design your games. So yeah, if you want to submit your post, just jump on over to the Discord and go to the Game Dev Challenge channel and type up your post. With that, let's move over to the body of the episode. Um, we have two topics today for this quick tips. Um, it might be a little bit more of a juicier quick tips, but the first topic of today's episode is boss battles or boss encounters. I might use those words interchangeably, battles and encounters, but I think battles probably is the wrong word to always use because it doesn't always have to be a literal fight. A lot of times a boss encounter or a boss battle is just like the peak of the pacing. If you remember back to the episode I was talking about pacing um, and how it has peaks where there's like key encounters, um, maybe at the end of Act 1, the end of Act 2, stuff like that. Um, the boss encounter usually happens at the end of that, and it doesn't always have to be a fight. We think about them as fights in video games because, you know, combat is a common theme in video games. But if you had a puzzle game, it could just be like a really hard puzzle, and I would include that as a boss encounter. A lot of the same game design principles are going to apply to that situation, which is why I wanted to use the word boss encounter, even though, you know, I'm just a, I'm a person who makes like speech mistakes a lot. So I might say boss battles, are, I mean boss encounters. So yeah, what is a boss encounter? I kind of just alluded to it a little bit here before, but um, the definition I wrote was a boss encounter is a specific event that happens in the game that serves as a great challenge to the player. They're often encountered at the peaks of your game's pace, and in addition to being a good, compelling challenge, they can serve to cement a mechanic in the player's skill set and also evaluate the player's mastery of said mechanic. I like to think of them in the same way that you might think of an exam in school. They are a test of the player's skill and should test a culmination of everything they have learned up to that point. In school, for instance, you might have lectures that introduce and teach subjects uh, that will be on the exam. In games, we can think of previous levels and gameplay as these lectures. An example of this might be learning how to dodge attacks with dash in previous lev levels and gameplay. Maybe like the first level introduces the dash and then you have enemies that attack you and you have to dash out of the way of their attacks. And the boss battle is at the end of this, um, let's just say at the end of Act 1. And it's the part of the game that serves as the test of the player's mastery of the dodge mechanic. Now, just making the boss attack you and you dodging it is what I like to call like a test of memorization. In school, I always thought that exams based on purely memorization were kind of dumb, um, mostly because once they were over, I lost the information in my head and I didn't really feel like I learned that much except for how to memorize a bunch of useless stuff. Because I think of boss encounters as the exam, 
I try and avoid like this style of test. Instead, I like to use familiar mechanics to introduce new ideas during the fight. This tests the player's ability to use what they know in a dynamic way instead of memorization, which is more of like a, if they do this, I do that type of way. So in our dash example, for instance, maybe the player has learned that they can avoid damage by dashing out of the way of enemies' attacks. In the boss battle, let's say that they are, I don't know, like there's electrical lines or something. And the only way to damage the boss is by dodging out of the way of the boss's attack so that their attack lands them in the electrical lines, thereby doing damage. The player has never been put in a situation where they must dodge to attack before this boss encounter, but they can prove that they have a mastery over the dodge mechanic by using it in a unique and new and creative way they had to figure out on the fly. Twisting the mechanics in a new and interesting way, I think, is where the smart design for boss encounters is. The more creative and flexible your player can demonstrate their mastery of the mechanics, I think is, is a, makes for a better boss battle. This means that sometimes it might be beneficial to have more than one way to defeat a boss. Of course, this kind of depends on the complexity of your game. Because in some situations, maybe you want them just to learn a specific lesson, and then that would be where you would probably only want one way to beat the boss. But for games with a little bit more open or complex game design, maybe you want to leave that creativity up to the player. There are a ton of games with really great boss design that have really good examples to study. Uh, you might look at some of my favorites like the Dark Souls series or Kingdom Hearts. The roguelite indie scene has great boss encounter designs all over the place. I mean, games like Spelunky, Binding of Isaac, Slay the Spire, all sorts of great examples in there. Maybe you could even look at some of the classics like Mega Man and Super Metroid. But I want to talk about today what, in my opinion, is the king of creative boss encounters. And I've talked about this game designer before. I'll probably talk about them more in the future. And that person is Hideo Kojima. And I know, I talk about Hideo Kojima a lot. But as a game designer, I think it's a f for good reason that I talk about him a lot. As I think he has some of the most interesting and out there ideas. And as far as interesting and out there go, he does not disappoint with boss encounters. I'm not saying this is how you should design your bosses. Um, but I think Kojima constantly pushes things in the name of like innovation and changing things up sometimes he does it so far that it may have like kind of rough edges to a wider audience but I do think the creativity and innovation is inspiring and offers a lot of lessons to learn so let's talk about a specific boss from the Metal Gear Solid um, series there are a lot of great bosses in Metal Gear Solid I'm sure some of you know one of my favorites is called the end in metal gear solid 3 snake eater the end is the name of a like 100 year old super soldier who appears to just be an old man in a wheelchair but is really the greatest sniper of all time he can lie still for weeks he has a pet parrot for a spotter his body can photosynthesize like energy from the sun like a plant and he's got a really <laughs> like creepy squiggly eye that he looks down the scope with. Near the middle of the game um, you encounter him as a boss and you have to find and kill him in like this giant jungle map. The open sandbox and creativity of this encounter is insane for a game that was made in 2005 I think. 
the game has survival mechanics like getting food from the jungle, like killing animals and eating them um, to keep your stamina up. It has switching camouflage patterns to blend in, military equipment like thermal sensors, and all of this is at your disposal. And you've been using these kind of things in conjunction throughout the game. There's a lot of you know, if you don't know what Metal Gear Solid's about, it's a lot of stealth and, like, military... It's kind of like high fantasy military stuff going on. The premise of this boss battle is that you have to find the end and not be found by him. Um, he's somewhere hidden in the jungle looking through his sniper scope, and you have to find him. And the whole thing plays out like an extreme cat and mouse game, and it does a great job of building tension and allowing the player to show their mastery over the mechanics in a totally dynamic way. For instance, you could wait for him to shoot or bait him into shooting at you and figure out where he is based on the sound. You could track his footprints with your thermal sensor. You could scan the foliage for his thermal signature. You can find his parrot and follow that to him. Once you find him, you like get some damage in on him, like by shooting him or punching him or something. But then he throws a flashbang and you're temporarily blinded and he runs to a new spot. You could even, knowing that he's going to do this, place a claymore trap, find him, scare him out of his spot, and have him run into the claymore trap. The amount of ways you can beat him are endless and really work with the mechanics of the game. It does a great job of, like, if it seems like you could do it, you probably can. Which is crazy for a game made in 2005. I think there's a lot of sandbox games nowadays where that kind of thing works well and is kind of like the core design. But back in 2005, that was not a popular style. But it wouldn't be Kojima if he didn't take it a step even further to, like, maximum craziness. Earlier in the game, you have a brief opportunity to shoot the end in his wheelchair after a cutscene um, if you've gotten the sniper rifle up to that point in the game. This is straight up like you just shoot him in his wheelchair <laughs> and, like, the he explodes in the, for story reasons and... Uh, I think like the wheelchair wheel even comes back and hits you or something. But by doing this earlier in the game, you negate the entire boss fight. So you show up to the scene where you're supposed to have the boss fight and it doesn't happen because you've already killed the end. Another way to beat him is to literally save at the beginning of the encounter, go to your console settings and advance the internal clock of your console two weeks. And then when you reload your save, you'll be sneaking around the jungle looking for the end, and you'll find his body because he's died from old age. It's established in the world that the end is really old. He's like more than 100. Um, he's kind of in the end of his days. And so it's crazy. I mean, it kind of it makes sense that he would die of old age. It's just the fact that you can do that in the game, that that's even an option, absolutely blows my mind. But anyways... To get back on track um, with what we can learn from this, I think this is an example of a great boss battle uh, because it's the ultimate exam of what the player has learned so far in the game. And by that I should say that those other examples I gave you, like shooting him in his wheelchair or making him die of old age, that's kind of just stylistic by Kojima. And I think that actually makes the experience a little worse because the boss battle is so good that you would want to play it. So when I say the boss encounter, I mean specifically within the, let's say that you didn't make him die of old age or you didn't shoot him in the wheelchair. I think the open sandbox style boss battle 
um, so that the player has the freedom to express their creativity and pass their exam and show their mastery in however they want to do it with the equipment they have at their disposal. I think that is great um, boss encounter design. And in this case, it's all wrapped up in an awesome, intense moment um, in the game's pacing, both from a narrative standpoint and just like a situation standpoint. I mean, it, it feels like you're playing like DayZ or Escape from Tarkov with the amount of tension it builds. And yeah, it just sucks the player into the world and really makes them feel like they're in a life or death cat and mouse jungle game of hide and seek. And to me, I think it's probably one of the greatest boss battles of all time. And there's lots of important lessons to learn from it. And yeah, I just think it's a really cool example of what we talked about, uh, what a good boss encounter is. So for the second segment of this Quick Tips episode, um, I wanted to try out a new segment called Buff or Debuffed. And really, this is just like, I want to try out a uh, quick, unfiltered view, like a hot takes type situation. So the idea for this is that there be a topic, I say it's either buff or debuffed, which just means like it's good, it's on the way up, or it's bad and needs some help. And the reason why I want to introduce this is because I think it opens the door for more interaction with the audience. Um, I can envision like people sending in topics that they just want to hear quick, unfiltered views. Yeah, and I think it might be kind of fun. So let's try it out. I just picked some random topics that just came into my head this edition of Buff Debuffed. But in the future, I'm hoping to get some topics from you guys. So let's start with Unity. Unity to me is debuffed. Um, I think Unity's disorganization is a huge debuff and it's really hindering it. Um, And by that I mean they're constantly deprecating features and not replacing them or changing the way things work. You know, I talked about this a little bit in my game engine review episode. But yeah, they just, even since then, they've just keeps going down this path of changing things and you know it's bad when someone asks you what features the engine has and you're not even sure what to tell them (laughs) because the features you have today could be totally different tomorrow and so yeah to me unity is debuffed due to its problems with organization and just an overall mess of what features it has the next topic is godot godot to me is buffed Um, Godot 4.0 is right around the corner. Uh, There's lots of quality of life, 3D capability improvements. It already has great usability. It's a very quick engine to use. Its biggest strength is its great open source community. Its license is like totally free. You have all the source code. There's just a lot to like about it. It's got a lot of momentum right now. And the flaws of it are decreasing by the day because it's open source. Anyone can fix flaws with it. The people who own it are constantly working hard on it. And yeah, its star is rising. um, And I think Godot could be the most popular engine within maybe the next five years. So for those reasons, Godot is buffed. Next topic is random encounters. That's from a game design standpoint. Um, Random encounters I'm kind of conflicted on. But I'm going to have to say that they're debuffed. Random encounters uh, come from like old school game design where they were padding to make the games last a lot longer. You think of games like Final Fantasy where you see your characters on the overworld and then all of a sudden the screen flashes and you're in a fight. But really this is just a clever way to 
disguise padding. And at the time, you know, the, the way the technology worked, it probably made more sense to do it this way. All it really does from a design standpoint is make the game last longer. And yeah, in modern game design, I don't think padding for padding's sake is good. Um, that being said, in games like Pokemon, where you have a chance at encountering like a rare monster or a rare Pokemon, I still think there's an element of fun to that just for like the random slot machine factor. So overall, I would say random encounters are debuffed, but with some nuance, some, you know, very unique situations where it might still work. Next topic is PS1 style graphics. To me, PS1 style graphics are buffed. I think this will be the new style that kind of captures the indie market, um, just like the classic pixel art style has been for like the last five to ten years. It's simple enough that it allows indie projects to properly scope and manage, you know, those art assets, um, but it's stylish enough to stand out. And I think you mix that with the nostalgia factor that a lot of people have for old school PS1 and N64 uh, style graphics and just things that look like that. Um, and I think there's a lot to like about it. So overall, PS1, N64 style graphics are buffed. And the last topic for this segment is Steam. I think Steam is buffed for the simple reason that it is the market for indie devs. Like, if you want to make money with a commercial indie game, you don't really have a choice. You might say, oh, well, there's itch.io and GOG and some of the other places, but they just don't have the same amount of people. And yeah, it's nice to be on those, but it's not a requirement. And from a business standpoint, you have, at the moment, you have to be on Steam. If you're serious about making a commercial indie game, like Steam is just where the market is. I would like to see Steam work on bringing their cut of the sale down or have, you know, systems like itch.io where you can pay what you want, maybe a smoother and more streamlined way for people to upload games, maybe a way to cut down on the asset flips and sort of the low effort games. But the sad part is that they have all the leverage because they are the market, and so with that amount of leverage, I'm not sure they have any incentive to really change things. And I do think, you know, they're slowly getting better, uh, but it's going to take a real competitor from the indie market to make them more active in changing that. And right now, you know, itch.io is maybe climbing up there, but I think it's a ways off. Um, overall, Steam is buffed just because you have to be on it. So yeah, that's the end of that segment, uh, buff or debuff. Uh, I kind of like it. It's kind of fun to give like quick <laughs> unfiltered takes, um, and it lets me explore maybe topics that couldn't fit a whole episode or even fit a quick tips episode, kind of extremely granular topics. And yeah, like I said, I hope it brings in a little bit more interaction with the community so that people from the community can post topics they want to hear about, and then... Yeah, I'll give my opinion on them. So jump over to the Discord or send me a tweet or something and tell me what you think about the buff debuffed uh, segment. And maybe tell me about a topic you want to hear about. With that, I'm going to end the episode. Um, remember, you can get a hold of me on Twitter or Instagram at underscore Zachavelli underscore. Uh, I just started streaming on Twitch. I don't really have a schedule. I just kind of announced that, hey, I'm doing it. <laughs> I probably should change that. Uh, but if you want to follow me on Twitch, that's at Zacavelli with an underscore at the end of it. On Twitch, you can't start your name with an underscore. So I was hoping to have like consistency, but uh, yeah, unfortunately on Twitch, I'm just Zacavelli underscore. Don't forget about the Game Dev Field Guide monthly game jam. February's game jam is wrapping up, so there will be new games to play. 
And then we'll be starting March's Game Jam. I think Gerald has already posted the topic. So yeah, go check that out. I will leave the links in the show notes. With that, I'm going to sign off. I have been Zachavelli. Switch your controllers for Psychomanus, and I'll see you guys next time.